love the conversation. Um, we can continue them at the end of the service. Um, today, uh, Sam's going to come and preach from Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6. So if you want to flick there in your Bibles now. Two Thessalonians three from verses six through to fifteen. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves as an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Not, uh, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. This is the word of the Lord. Brother. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, that's my name. Sam, if you haven't met me met before, um, it's been given away already. Um, it's my privilege to get to preach um, this morning. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll get into um, this subject. I'm not necessarily going to be working through that passage, but we'll be jumping around the Bible and hopefully it's helpful. Okay, let me pray. Father, we come before your word now and um, as always, needy. And, 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 a, and a large amount of helplessness for all the things that, that matter, the things that could be accomplished. And so we pray by your Spirit, please do a work amongst us. May your word not return void. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing in our series on biblical stewardship, what to do with the things that God gives us, especially the things that God gives us that actually He gives to everybody. We've looked at time, we have spent five weeks on money and possessions. This week, we are looking at the topic of work, jobs. I'm including in that though, things you do to volunteer, if you're a homemaker, I'm including, even, even being a student, I think most of what I'm about to say will, will, will kind of and capture all of those um, worthy work-type activities. It's worth giving time to thinking about our work, isn't it? Um, how we steward our jobs. We do, but just by the nature of, they take up a big part of our lives, don't they? I mean, they dominate our time every week. Most of our waking hours, at least through the, through the, through the, the week, is, is spent at work. It dominates our conversations. Right, when, when you got here this morning, I probably most of you have been asked, how was work? How's work? Well, work's, you know, work's work. Um, we say, you know, if you meet someone, somebody new, you say, eventually, like pretty soon probably, and what do you do with yourself? What, what do you do for work? What do you do for a living? And in the answer, in our fleshliness, I think sinful fleshliness, we find out a lot about that person. Right? It's like, 
oh, okay, that's what you do? Okay, I know who you are now. You know, I know how smart you are. I know how successful you are. I know how worthy you are of my time. You know, if I, if I really want to invest into this friendship, potential friendship, work dominates our thoughts. It's not just at work that we're thinking about work. We think about work when we're not at work. Even right now, you're thinking about work, right? You're like, I have not done that thing. I need to contact that person. I meant to get that done yesterday. I'm going to have to, Monday is going to be a big day, you know, and I've got to call that person. I've got deadlines that are coming up and I'm feeling stressed about those things and I really need some help from that person next to me in the office and they are not that useful and my boss is riding me and, and that person's a bit of a jerk and, and so you have all these things and you're wondering, can I get ahead in this job? Is there a future? Am I getting paid enough? Can, is, like, can I work my way up in this all kinds of thoughts constantly about work. We watch TV shows, and there are so many TV shows that are just watching people do their jobs, right? Like that, do you remember that phenomenon where it's like, these people drive trucks, let's watch a TV show, you watch them drive trucks. Are they fish? Are they catch gators? And, you know, that kind of thing. And so we, we watch people work. We even sing songs about work, Jimmy Barnes. Working hard to make a living. Bringing shelter from the rain, a father's son left to carry on, blue denim in his vein. Oh, 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 he's a working class man. Manic Monday by the Bengals was all about getting ready for work on a Monday morning. It's just another Manic Monday. I wish it was Sunday because that's my fun day. I think she meant to say Lord's Day. That's my <laughs> Lord's Day. My I don't have to run day. It's just another Manic Monday. It's a hard day's night by the Beatles. So if work is like that big, and it is, that kind of pervasive in our lives, it makes sense that we would, as Christians, want to think pretty carefully about, so how do I do that, since this is massive, like as a Christian? What does God's Word have to say about how I ought to treat my work? Our Christian lives are being played out in a, a large proportion, at work. Our Christian lives. It's at work where we spend a lot of time where we ought to be acting as Christians. Where we spend a lot of time fulfilling the two greatest commandments, to love God and love our neighbours. It's at work, just by nature that we're there a lot, that we will do a lot of our making disciples as, as part of the Great Commission. Now, you might say, that's easy for you to say, Sam. Not all of us are pastors, and, you know, you mainly work with, I only work with Christians. That's a policy that we have. We'll employ Christians. And so it's not hard for me to think through each day, how am I going to combine my faith with my work? You know, it's like, no, that kind of like fits together quite nicely. But I've not always been a pastor. I did work at McDonald's for a few years. Um, out of school, I... Did an apprenticeship as a sheet metal worker and a few years in, in that trade, uh, working mainly just kind of welding and stainless steel fabrication. I've even driven an Uber. That's a lot of opportunities to share the gospel right there, captive audience. Is it, driving an Uber is not driving an Uber. That is counselling sessions, <laughs> mainly. I've worked in parachurch, doing high school evangelism, been school chaplain, a mix of different things. I'm thankful for all of them. What attitude does our culture have towards work, do you think? Well, there's probably lots of different things, isn't there? For some, it's a kind of necessary evil. There's different sayings I remember hearing in the workshop. We'd be washing our hands at the end of the day, and, and this bloke, it, it, didn't, it, it got a bit old, but he would say, well, 
another day, another dollar, you know. And what is he saying? Well, there's a, it's another day, so it's monotony, and it's another dollar. I'm just here basically to make some money. And people would say, man, just working for the weekend, you know, just working for the weekend. So what are, the, what are we saying? We're saying, like, I'm here, but there's not actually, this is not my purpose. I work here so that I can have a weekend where I spend what I've earned here. Some look at work and think, well, that's not just, that's not really for me, you know. Uh, that's for other people, but I, I, I like the kind of work-free life, and that, looks, that just looks hard, and that, that requires getting up and all kinds of things that I don't enjoy. And so work never killed anyone, but why risk it? It's too dangerous. So some people are just lazy. They'd rather not work. Maybe waiting for that perfect dream job. I'll work when I get that, you know, that's the thing that I was made to do, you know. And once I can get that, everything else is kind of beneath me and what I want to do with my life. For many, though, work becomes a person's entire identity. Their value, their worth. I want to be something. And how will I be something? Well, it's going to be through my work. It will be a high-status job. It will make lots of money. It will fund the kind of lifestyle that I want to have. I will make a name for myself. And we often do this, don't we? Just naturally ascribe the worth of a person by the job that they do. So we, 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 we're shocked sometimes, aren't we, when someone of a high-status job treats someone of, say, a low-status job, like, decently. You know, like, this actor actually talked to the cameraman. You know, we're like, wow, what, what condescension. You know, it's like, no, like, there are people made in the image of God. And so jobs are not designed, I think, by God's Word, to be our primary place of identity. That's actually a dangerous place to put it. In Rocky Three, Rocky Balboa explains why he feels like he has to take on uh, and fight Apollo Creed. And he says this, Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. See, I need to do it and I need to succeed to show who I am. According to YouGov's um, 2022 Workplace Happiness Survey, I don't know if you were included in that, but one in four people are looking for a new job. But the search for a job for many, many people is not just a search for a job. It's a search for meaning. I'm looking for purpose. I'm looking for my identity. I'm looking to be elevated in society. So what does the Bible have to say about our work? Actually, it says lots. You don't actually get past the first page of the Bible without encountering a work week where God is creating, working for six days and then resting on the seventh. And each day follows a similar pattern, doesn't it? God creates, then God looks at what He's created, and God says that was very good. So God, God is He's making, but then He's actually delighting in the work that He has done. He has satisfaction in His work. And on the sixth day, God creates people made in His image, and He gives them work to do, doesn't He? Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So people made in the image of God, it says, and then the immediate implication of that is that they have a job to do. They're going to have dominion in this world. So God 
is the creator. He's the, 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 if the boss, if you like. But he has created people in his image to rule underneath him. That's the primary function of what it means to be made in the image of God as described in Genesis chapter 1. And so then it continues, says in Genesis 1, a couple of verses later, verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that, again, that's, that's for people. God created animals, but they were not made in His image, and they are not given a job to do. They just exist. But the people have, actually, there's lots of work to do. So there's be fruitful and multiply. That is, fill up this earth that I've made. Like, go out and, and essentially establish societies all around the world. Fill the earth and subdue it, God says. So subdue means to cultivate, means to kind of take the, the raw materials that we find in, in the earth and, and kind of maximize them to create things, to, 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 to establish things throughout the world. The world is there. God has made it. It's very good. But it's not finished in the sense that you need to subdue it. You need to get the most out of it. Tim Keller um, gives examples of what subduing can mean like this. He says, farming takes the physical material of soil and seed and produces food. Music takes the physics of sound and rearranges it into something beautiful and thrilling that brings meaning to life. When we take fabric and make a piece of clothing, when we push a broom and clean up a room, when we use technology to harness the forces of electricity, when we take an unformed, naive human mind and teach it a subject, when we teach a couple how to resolve their relational disputes, when we take the simple materials and turn them into a poignant work of art, we are continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. Whenever we bring order out of chaos... Whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we are following God's pattern of creative cultural development. See? So from the first couple of chapters of Genesis, we get a few things. We're made in the image of God. And that means to have dominion and work as His stewards on earth. Work is not, therefore, incidental to our lives. It doesn't sit on the periphery of what we would rather actually be doing. It's not caused by sin. Work doesn't start kind of after the fall. So there's a pattern, do you see? Rest comes after work. Six days, God works. One day, He rests. Generally, we get five days of work, two days of rest. It's not the reverse either, is it? It's not six days of leisure, one day of work, and that's how it works out, as much as you might wish. But the story continues, Adam and Eve disobey God and the curses come because of their disobedience and, and notice that the curses fall on the, 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 the things that God had commissioned them to do. So you are to go and do these things because of sin. Now those things, well, they're going to be cursed. Be fruitful and multiply. Well, now children will be born but with great pain and childbearing. They would have dominion and subdue the earth. But Genesis 3.17 says this, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. 
for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So this ground, this creation, this earth that God had made, which was fertile, was ready to kind of just give forth fruit as we worked it, well, now it would, it would resist. The earth would, would frustrate our, our, our desires to produce from it. In pain you shall eat of it, it says. So work will, it will sometimes be painful. It will work, we'll have to work hard. It produces, um, God says, thorns and thistles. You know, we weren't trying to plant thorns and thistles, but, but, but we were frustrated by, what we wanted this thing, but, but out of it is coming thorns and thistles. It says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat. It's just going to be hard work. Ever experienced that? Probably. I mean, even if you love your job, you're like, I've got the best job, you know, Kim was saying. I've got the dream job, you know. Even if you love your job, you're like, this is the best job. You get up and you're like, you sing the happy working song, you know, if you've seen Enchanted. Where, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go, and you're whistling your way to work. But even then, you'll be frustrated at work at times, won't you? Whether it's co-workers, or this thing just didn't work out the way you wanted it to, or it's just frustrating that this printer doesn't print anymore. and the, You know, like, they're, they're just constant frustration. You want a holiday from it, eventually. So I think the Bible's really realistic, isn't it? And that's one of the wonderful things about God's Word. Both in the do- our doctrine of creation and doctrine of the fall, we see both. Like, work is good. We can find great satisfaction great purpose, great meaning in our work. But it's also frustrating. It's also frustrating. It also doesn't produce how we might like to it to produce anymore. It's difficult. And the Bible tells us that that's going to be true. And that's going to be the true for who? Everybody. So this has set up the whole world, doesn't it? Genesis 1 to 3 sets up the whole world. It doesn't just set up the Christian experience of life in the world. It sets up everyone's experience of life in the world, believer or unbeliever. It's really interesting how um, Genesis actually continues. So Adam and Eve, they removed from the garden into this cursed world. And, and, and what is established is kind of two lines, if you like. There is the line of the serpent, and there is the line of the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of Eve. You have Cain and Abel. Abel is the offspring of the woman, but Cain is more like the offspring of the, of the serpent. Cain kills Abel. Cain is removed then and sent off. But no, the, the, the story actually follows Cain for a little bit and says, kind of, what happened with Cain? Some of his descendants. It's really interesting. They get to work. They actually produce things that are very, very useful. So this is Genesis 4, 16, includes this, says, So Adar bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. And he was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. This is the ungodly line. And they're being, they're in this common kingdom, this common world, and producing things, very helpful things. They've made progress in agriculture. They've made progress in musical instruments. They're playing the lyre, playing the, the pipe. And they're making things out of bronze and iron. There's some, like, probably obvious things, but there's great, there's great lessons for us to learn Uh, from this, and that is in many respects to our work, we are not uniquely Christian. There's not actually a unique way of doing some things kind of as a Christian. That might sound strange, but just think about it for a second. They played the lyre and the pipe, right? Cain's line. Is there a uniquely Christian way 
to play the pipe. I don't even know what the pipe looks like. Whatever it was. <laughs> no, actually, it's actually the same. Is there a uniquely Christian way to bake a mud cake? You could probably just pick up a cookbook, actually. It might even be the case that non-Christians make better mud cakes than we do. Isn't it? Actually, you might pick up a cookbook from somebody else who doesn't know the Lord, maybe from a different religion, and they know how to make it better than us. That 2 plus 2 equals 4, and that's actually true whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Right? I was a welder, and there was not a Christian way, a particular Christian way, to join this metal together. Right? I was actually only trained by unbelievers. Thomas Edison was not a Christian, but we do love light bulbs, don't we? How useful are light bulbs? And in fact, they've helped Christians. They help us have quiet times in the morning and at night time. They're helping us right now. Just because something's not done by a Christian doesn't mean God's not using it in the world for His purposes. Um, we live in a world that can be studied, can be understood, can be observed. God has created the world in a way that, that, that is like that, that makes sense, and so we can have science so that the unbeliever can look at it, study it, and this is called natural theology, can understand all these things, and we can learn from one another in a many, many, many ways, and God is using people, doing all kinds of different jobs, Christian or not, to do His kinds of purposes. Martin Luther made this point. He's, he's, he talked about how, how does, you know, we, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, or we sit down before a meal, but, you know, and we, we say grace, don't we? We thank the Lord for giving us this meal. Martin Luther makes the point, he goes, how did God provide that meal? How did, how did God, generally speaking, put that food on that table for you that you're giving thanks for or giving you your daily bread? It's not usually that it just goes, poof, there it is. You know, we pray for food and then poof, it just appeared. No, how did it happen? Almost countless people have been involved in bringing this in front of you right now for which you thank the Lord. Right, take wheat bix for example. Right? What, what went into, just think through it for a second, and I don't, I've not looked into this, but I can just assume a few things. Right? Wheat bix require wheat. So you needed, <laughs> and bix. I don't know what the bix part is, but you need wheat. <laughs> so you've got, you got a farmer, and the farmer is harvesting, and they've got so you've got, you got to have all kinds of people involved in the farm. Right? You've got the farmer. And you've got the, actually the tractor that's got to kind of harvest it, right? And so you need somebody who's actually built the tractor and probably the wiring and the mechanics and you need mechanics involved in all of that and, and people who can weld and all that kind of thing to build the tractor, which then kind of might harvest the, harvest the wheat. Well, that's got to go into what? A truck. And so you need a truck driver who will drive on a road that somebody has made. So someone needed to make the road and someone needed to drive the truck. Someone needed to build the truck, actually. So someone needed to build the truck so the truck driver could drive the truck on the road that someone built to bring it to the Wheat Bix factory. At the Wheat Bix factory, someone built that factory, right? And all kinds of workers have gone into building that factory. But at that factory, there are, there are things that package the Wheat Bix, and they make them into little cool rectangles, and they go into a box. Someone had to make the cardboard and the plastic that, goes in, that the Wheat Bix are in inside the box. Well, then that needs to be probably put on back onto another truck, and another truck driver drives down the road, which is governed by speed limits. People had to make those signs, and the police have to guard those speed limits and what have you. But it gets there, and it gets to Woolworths, and someone takes it from the truck and puts it onto a shelf that someone made. And anyway, this is getting tedious, but there you are. There we are. Finally, you walked in there, you picked it off the shelf, you put it in front of you, and said, Thank you, Lord. 
for providing me these wheat bix. But he used thousands of people. That if you started from scratch and said, I have this idea for wheat bix, I'm going to do it all myself, you couldn't make one in your entire lifetime. You'd have to build trucks, you'd have to build farms, you'd have to build roads. God is using all of these things to provide and show love for the world. Luther writes this, he says, God could have given us every good thing by merely speaking a word or waving his hand as he did in the garden or in the desert. Instead, he chooses to use his image bearers to create and provide the things we need because he wants us to be bound together in inter interdependent love, relationships and communities. So, that's, that, so far, that includes everyone, Christian or not. But are there things that the, the Bible says and the gospel does that really does shape a unique perspective that the Christian ought to have in their stewardship of work? I've got five things, okay? You can probably think of more. I've got five things. First, and that, that'll be the sermon, so five things. First, the gospel keeps us from making work an idol. So an idol is anything that you put in the primary place in your life. This is the thing which I think about, that I sacrifice for. This is the thing that gives me my meaning, my purpose. This is at the center of all my affections in my life. That, that it, has, it has surpassed God and other things. Work. That's what an idol can easily, work can easily become an idol like that. Here's my identity. Here's my fulfillment. Here's where I'll make a name for myself. Isn't that what they said when they were building, working on the Tower of Babel? Genesis 11.4, they said, Come, let us, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. I will seize my destiny. I will be thought of as great. I will sacrifice all else for this. Well, things go terribly wrong, don't they? When you make work, your God. When you make work, your Savior. Well, family goes wrong, doesn't it? You disorder your love so that actually family sits underneath work. All kinds of damage happens. I asked Sienna yesterday, I said, what are some movies that kind of have that kind of theme where the dad works too much and then you've got, you know, the kids are upset. And it's like, just immediately, you know, like, what was daddy daycare, cheaper by the dozen, game plan. I was just like, thinking, I was like, oh my goodness. That's like such a common theme. Why is it a common theme in our movies? Because it actually, it happens a lot. Where family is sacrificed for career. And just on a side note, I think much of, at times, this is the, the rationale for literal sacrifice of humans, oh, in abortion. My career, or our career, where we will sacrifice even little children. You can often end up doing a job you don't like because work needs to be my great purpose, my great meaning. Tim Keller observes this, he says, college students often do not choose work that actually fits their abilities, talents, and capacities, but rather choose work that fits within their limited imagination of how they can boost their own self-image. I don't even like this job, but it does what I do want it to do for me, and that make me great. When work is your identity, you become harder to work with, don't you? Can't be happy for other people if they do better than you. Jealous when someone else gets promoted. You'll lie to save face at your work. You'll be quick to blame others. You'll be tempted to trot over others to get ahead. You become worse to work with because you made an idol of work. I remember one time, 
I'd been in this um, particular sheet metal workshop for a while, and uh, I think I was maybe like my fourth year of my apprenticeship, and I knew how the, 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 the press works, that, that folds the metal. And it's particular press, particular technology, and I knew how it worked. And a new tradesman came along, and he did not know how it worked, and so I was just showing him the ins and outs of it. And I thought nothing of it until another tradesman came along to me and said, what are you doing? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you don't show him how to do that. I was like, why? He said, that's something that you have, that he doesn't have. You don't show people how to do what you do. You need to be the only one that knows how to do these things. That's what you offer to the workplace. That's your value. I'm like, that makes no sense. I'm an apprentice. I would know nothing if no one taught me anything. We become worse to work with. We become worse at our work. So you're if your very self needs, needs to do this well, you need it for your, for your own self, for your own identity. That can be a crippling pressure. Again, Tim Keller, um, he, he's written a great book on this. There's a, there's a few books that if you'd like to, uh, one called Gospel in Work um, and Gospel in Work Life. And then Tim Keller has one called Encounter, oh, what's it called? Every Good Endeavor. There you go. Um, here's this great illustration uh, from a guy named Ben Nugent who wrote for the New York Times. He was, he was formerly a novelist. He was a writer uh, like, of novels. Now he's writing in the New York Times. And he's talking about why he had to just stop writing novels. He couldn't keep writing novels anymore. And he says this. He says, When good writing was my only goal in life, I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. For this reason, I was not able to read my own writing well. I couldn't tell if something I, that I had written was good or bad because I needed for it to be good in order to feel sane. I lost the ability to cheerfully interrogate how much I liked what I had written to see what was actually written on the page rather than what I wanted to see or what I had feared to see, you see? So you can't get better at things because you can't handle any kind of criticism and it's kind of crippling. It's like, if I'm going to do this, it has to be done so perfectly and it needs to be so successful. But the gospel comes along and puts God in His place as God, as your Savior, and suddenly our identity is found in His grace and that He loves us and it's not based on our work. It's not based on our performance, which then actually frees us, I think, to work hard, strive hard, because you, you don't need to be saved by it. So you can hear criticism suddenly. You won't get arrogant when you do well. You think less of other people. You won't be destroyed if you don't do well. You'll tell the truth even if it makes you look bad. Say sorry when you make mistakes. Happy to serve others without getting credit. Do the menial things that no one else wants to do. Why? Because your identity is not in your work. It's in the Lord Jesus who loves you and died for you. So that's the first thing. Second thing. We don't become idle in our work. That is, so work don't become an idol, but then we don't become idle, I-D-L-E, in our work. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, this is the passage that got read. That's some strong language, isn't it? Was that surprising if you hadn't read that passage before? Some of the strong language toward, toward people who are idle, lazy. 2 Thessalonians 3.6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. That's significant, isn't it? Oh, they're lazy. They're, that's not even according to Christian tradition. That's not how we operate. Verse 8, Paul says, he worked hard because he didn't want to burden other people with, their laziness, with, with laziness. He says this, verse 8, 
nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Well, verse 10, Paul makes the command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay, that's a good policy. You don't work, you don't eat. Right? Now, notice it says they're not willing to work, not that they're not able to work. If you are unable to work, man, you've got, we'll get around, you know, we'll help. But for a person who is unwilling to work, Paul says, well, just don't let them eat. We'll see how long that lasts. Right? They'll probably get to work pretty quick. Verse 11, Paul says, if you don't work, you will actually become busy doing other things, less profitable things. So he says, for we hear that some, of, some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So they are busy. It's just not a work. They become busy bodies. They become meddlers. And so he closes off in verse 12. He says, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So a Christian approach, a Christian approach to work, at one level is just this, we work hard. We are not slack. We are not lazy. That would dishonor the Lord. Slackness and laziness is inherently selfish. I will not serve others, I'm serving myself. Well, it's ungodly and it's sinful. And it's not like Christ. And so, and it doesn't trust that God has placed you where you are, to be faithful where you are. You might not love your job, you might not love aspects of it, but it is enough to be faithful and do it well. So third, third one, the Christian view sees that all work matters, whether it is a big job or whether it is a small thing, whether it is high profile or low profile, whether it is well paid or whether it is underpaid, all work that serves our neighbor is of value to God. Um, Steve Jobs was famous for saying, um, this is the Steve Jobs quote, we're here, <laughs> you've got to have one, don't you? We're here to put a dent in the universe. Otherwise, why else even be here? That's a lot of pressure. And it doesn't allow for like dignity in small things that matter in the big picture. You know, it'd be hard if you're working in fast food. So for some of you young people working in fast food, and you're handing over that food, you're like, am I making a dent in the universe right now? Probably not. And that's okay. Um, I've seen and I've done some pretty boring jobs, I'll be honest. <laughs> when I was a welder in, in Melbourne, I was, I was in a factory. It was more like a production factory, this one. And so more of like I was part of a production line and working part-time while studying. And I would just, I would genuinely, I would sit at the bench and I would have my welder and I would go, zzz, zzz, and I'd just do that for hours. Just, I just had to weld this little corner and that was it. Hours of it. That is, that is tough to see me making a dent in the universe. But then it did help knowing, oh, I'm making something like the, i'm a small part of actually a production line this thing actually ends up being high quality camera gear i'm actually part of the film industry that's what i was doing i was <laughs> these were these uh, the brands black magic cameras and we were making the parts for those and they're quite expensive and that's what i was like well there you go that helps doesn't it 
Um, I used to do a lot of work at the Golden Circle factory on the north side, and man, I saw some jobs there that, you know, that, that is, there's some repetitive jobs. One brother I was talking to, he was, his job was, as the pineapples came in through the truck and on the crates, they would come down a chute, and they would sit there, and his job for, they would work nine-hour days, was to pick up the pineapple and make sure the spiky end was facing out. Like that. Nine hours. And you might be in a, part, in a job like that. Now, what, what sense can our world make of that? As far as meaning? Oh, God can. Because it's actually he's part of something. We're getting pineapple. We love pineapple. Pineapple's great. There are some people, this is, would stand around a conveyor about this wide, and there were corn kernels, you know, corn kernels, and they were all over this mat, this, this conveyor that just kind of moved along, and they would stand there, and a group of, group of them would stand around the conveyor with a pair of tweezers, and for, for nine hours a day, just pick out the less than perfect ones. That's amazing, that's a lot of yellow, it was like super bright. Well, what, what meaning can come from this? Martin Luther says that jobs like that are masks of God. That God is behind it. And these are the masks by which he is caring for and loving and providing for the world. They are performing an act of love. That's what they're doing. That's what we all ought to be doing. And so all work matters. All work matters in God's world. We can think wrongly about this just even in the church. We can think, can't we? Well, we begin to think, you know the work that really matters? That's like missionaries. You know, that's the, the pastors, that's the evangelists, that's the full-time ministry people. Those, that's the kind of work that actually really matters. Let me read a couple of quotes. Kevin DeYoung writes this. He says, Please don't ever think you are a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God if you aren't in full-time ministry. You can honor the Lord as a teacher, a mother, doctor, lawyer, loan officer, social worker, you can work in retail, fast food, politics, or big business. You can be a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. You can be just about anything you want as long as you aren't lazy. And whatever you do, you perform to the glory of God. Keller again. The current economic era has given us fresh impulses and new ways to stigmatize work, such as farming and caring for children. Jobs that supposedly are not knowledge jobs and therefore do not pay very well. But in Genesis, we see God as a gardener. And in the New Testament, we see Him as a carpenter. No task is too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given by God. Simple physical labor is God's work, no less than the formulation of theological truth. All work matters. Fourth, as a Christian, we ought to make all of our work as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. I don't know who you work for, who your boss is, but I kind of do actually. Because you have a boss above that boss. And so you actually, in the end, you're not working for that man. You're not working for the man. You're working for God. You're doing things for Him. That changes everything, doesn't it? You carry that attitude with you. I'm doing this as unto the Lord. What will you do? You will work heartily. You will look out for others. You will esteem others. You will prop others up. 
1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You might go, but what I do is not very glorious. How can it bring glory to God? All I do is this or that. Well, Paul just mentions eating and drinking. And he goes, that, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. John Piper wrote an article a number of years ago called How to Drink Orange Juice to the Glory of God. I like that. Because there's a way. I receive this orange juice as orange juice. It's good. But I'm thankful to the Lord for it. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just thankful. And so I praise the Lord for it. There is a way to do that with our work. So it's just a fundamentally different principle to work from, isn't it? And someone says, well, why were you nice to them? Why, why do you keep treating that person so kindly? Why did you try to get that job done so fast and well for your boss? How do you even cope with that boss? And you might say, I'm not working for him. I work for the Lord. So fifth and last, in our work, we do get to reach people with the gospel. So I'm not saying evangelism is your primary goal in your work. But it's there. It's part of it, I think. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Why wouldn't we hope that, you know, as we work, as we have our jobs, that people might be curious? Why are you a bit different? Why do you act like that? Why don't, why don't you use that, the same kind of language? Why don't you laugh like, at the same things we kind of laugh at? Why do you take those things seriously but not those things? Why are you the way you are? Peter says, be ready. As you, as you honor Christ, as you set Him apart as Lord, as you work as unto Him, it won't be shocking if people come to ask and go, so what is with you? What is with that? And so the gospel can seem strange to people, right? And this is part of what gives plausibility to the gospel. Because if you think about the gospel just as a message, it is a hard thing to, it can be a hard thing to swallow if you've never heard. So what you're telling me is like God became a human, right? And we've sinned against God. And the way that he forgives us is for this person, Jesus. He, he was killed on a Roman cross. And that deals with my sin now. I can be forgiven because of that. And he rose again. That has heaps of relevance. Like you go okay there's like a, a garden and there's a talking snake and you know so i'm just trying to put it all together you believe all that and it can be a, it can be a lot but then they actually see a christian who lives in the grace of god who knows their identity is him and they are loved by him and they have seen the example of their god who who, who condescended to earth and served even me and he forgive he forgave me and he loved me and I didn't deserve it and you spread that kind of kindness and forgiveness and suddenly there's kind of plausibility oh maybe that's true like you you, you like like that has a real real life every day you just show up to work and it it has real impacts on the way that you live brothers and sisters it is not a small thing to be a Christian in a workplace it is not to be taken lightly or thoughtlessly it is possible that you are the only Christian in your workplace. Um, what a blessing. What an opportunity. Because you may be the only Christian to come through that workplace. And the Lord has put you there. 
And it's not an accident. Acts 17 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. What Paul is saying is, God has determined that you, everything about your life actually, He's sovereign over it all. It is not an accident that you live where you live, that you work where you work, that you have these exact workmates. God has designed this. Why? So that they might know that God is not that far from them. And He's not because you're there and He's in you. It's not an accident. It's God reaching out to the world. So you might not be a Christian um, here this morning and um, maybe you're here because you met one at work and... (laughs) And you're like, yeah, there was something different about that guy. This is what we believe, or girl. We believe that the God who made the world came into the world to save a people who had rebelled against him, who had rejected him, who had hated him. Philip Jensen writes this. He says, if God came into the world, what would he be like? For the ancient Greeks, he might have been a philosopher king. The ancient Romans might have looked for a just and noble statesman. But how does the God of the Hebrews come into the world as a carpenter? He lived in obscurity for about 30 odd years, doing the work of a carpenter. And throughout his life, he taught and demonstrated how we ought to live. And we think it is a beautiful life. No one was too low for him to love and bring near. No one was too lost for him not to want to draw near to. He didn't waste a moment. He worked hard. He lived a perfect life, actually. And though he lived that stunning, perfect life, and we hadn't, he took on our sin on himself. He took the punishment for it and died on the cross. And we believe that, that by faith in him, he, he also rose from the dead and he gives us new life like that. It's pure grace. We sit and we work and we endure all these things inside the realm of grace from God Almighty. We have an eternity of rest waiting for us. Or actually, I think we will have work to do. Fruitful work, blessed work, wonderful work. And we look forward to that day. In a sense, we were, you know, we say we're saved by grace and we are. But in a sense, we are saved by works as well. It's just not ours. Jesus came and he did the work for us. By faith in him, you get all of it. And he will revolutionize the whole way you think about all of these things. And there are so many blessings to it. Friend, if you, uh, if you wanted to receive the Lord Jesus this morning, he is ready and willing to have you. Let me pray. Father, help us to take in just some of this, this great calling that you give us to work us unto you. I pray that you'd help us to be hard workers, to be diligent, to be honorable, to be full of integrity and always trusting you and not finding our identity in the things of this world, but your love and your grace and being one of yours. I pray this for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.